ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the gun racks and North Desert Institute School of Firearms Technology's official podcast. I'm Josiah Upper. Folks call me Joey. And with me, we have two individuals, and I'm not going to serve this up as poorly as I did about two weeks ago. <laughs> so first, we have one... Drew Poplin. And then you get to tee up our guest today. So the guest we have on the show, we are very excited to have him on the show. Technically, he's been on the show before, but, you know, this is really the first time, you know, he's getting the full gun rack experience. Yeah. Uh, we are joined by David Rains, SDI graduate and um, award winner as well. Good afternoon. Guten Tag to you, sir. My German needs to be brushed up on. Ah, that's a sequel. It, that's needs, a sequel. To, it needs to exist in the first place for it to be brushed up on. Dude. I did. I'll have you know, there was a solid one month when uh, <laughs> when COVID was a thing that did, I... Did you attempt to Duolingo German? Yes. I have attempted to Duolingo in the past six months, both Ukrainian, no, not Ukrainian, Polish and Navajo with have the discipline. It's supposed to be one of the hardest languages to learn. So I was like, game on. And then I, a weekend I was like, this is mentally taxing and I have no discipline. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like I'm already in grad school. That part of my brain like full. So I can understand why uh, you want to learn Navajo because again, yes. incredibly difficult language. So it's like, well, one, you get the satisfaction of learning that. Two, if you can learn Navajo, you can learn, you know, pretty much any other language. And three, you sound really cool to be like, oh, yes, I do speak a little Navajo myself. Yes. But why Polish? Why Polish? At the time, I was doing some interviews with a company that was, I don't know if it was originally based out of Poland or happened to have a Polish president, but the staff was, a lot of them spoke Polish. So I was like, well, let's see where this rabbit trail goes. And if I'm gonna learn the language of a European country, I speak, at one point I spoke very comfortable conversational Spanish. I won't call myself fluent because the standard in my brain for that has always been if you can think in a language, then you're fluent in it. And I never got quite there. But if you can dream, um, I took it for if five you can years dream in that in language. The, yeah. But I was like, if I'm going to go the route of European languages again, I'm not going to do French because I have dignity and I'm an American. And I have too many friends who speak German already and I don't want them to check me and it's just a disaster. Wait, you, um, you have a lot of friends that speak German? By a lot, I mean like two, but you know. I mean, that's that's more than I have as far as friends. Yeah, that's wait, you, wait, you guys have friends? I, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, Polish is kind of cash money. Like that's, <laughs> it's difficult and might be valuable. And uh, they their military history makes my heart happy. So all sorts of wonderful things over there. And hey, you'd be like one of the only people that could talk to Henry Zabrowski. 
in That's Polish. What I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure if I spoke Polish to him, he would be able to answer in kind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure that's exactly how that situation would go down. And so with that being said, David, thank you for hopping onto the podcast. You also, I guess, technically are the winner of a Drew's Clues. Yay! Yeah, before. my man snagged a dub like the second he got on. <laughs> yeah, he's like, by the way, has anyone got the uh, Drew's Clues from last week right? I was like, yeah, no, I don't think so. So uh, he got it. It was the uh, Caltech KSG, or you know, that was our most recent one as of time of recording. So David, how did you get that right? When I was working the gun counter at Stan's Mary Mart, uh, we had a KS7, which is essentially a KSG just cut in half. It's a single tube, same pump action. And then we had quite a few KSGs on the shelf as well, right before the magazine ban of 2021 that went through Washington State. So they came in and they flew off the shelf. They did not stay long. But I was like, okay, it's a bullpup. Okay, it's two tubes of seven plus seven. Okay, it's pump action and it's 26 inches long. And I'm like, okay, well, the barrel's got to be 18 and a half, like you said, to be shotgun. So it was like, huh, 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 kind of counted on my fingers, trying to do my mental math because I've worked on a few of the like the CMRs. I like Caltech, but Caltech feels like it's 150 years behind its time, I think, like in 2077. You know, uh, they'll be in cyberpunk everywhere. Um, yes. <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was it was the fact that it was you when you said two mags of seven plus seven. I was like, because uh, there's like the IWI. They make that rotating drum that's got the four tubes. I was like, mm-hmm. no, nah, that's not it. And that's semi-automatic. So I just kind of did a little of a little um, thought process and process of elimination of uh, wait, that's a Caltech. Mm-hmm. And then I. I'm like, ha ha. You know, put them deduction skills to use. I see. Uh, I got to be good for something. Yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, David, you were on, quote unquote, on the show way back last year. I think it published May 23rd. It was episode 105. Grad speak with David Rains. Since then, you know, the podcast has kind of grown, you know, a little bit. A little bit more. So for maybe those that aren't aware of who you are and sort of what your story was, would you mind kind of like giving a shortish summary of how you ended up at SDI, what happened, and um, just sort of what that whole experience means to you? Sure. Absolutely. Up until the point that I decided to enroll at SDI, I was the production manager at a local distillery here in town. On the verge of COVID striking down, our business was closed. We were declared a non-essential, non-essential business. So uh, we had to uh, we had to shutter the doors. It was me and the boss. We had two people working in a six thousand square foot building. It was ridiculous. So with me being out oh, of work yeah, for the just did that math. Yeah, with me being um, unemployed for a period of time while recovering from said surgery. Uh, I decided like, uh, what could I do? And I had been a big fan of most of the gun tubers on YouTube. So, well, what do you do when you're staying home and watching your kid put on YouTube? So I started to see more and more ads for SDI pop up and then like Hickok 45 and Demo Ranch and, you know, a couple of others pop up. And I was like, you know, hmm, 
probably a year or so prior to that, I had seen like Full Sail University and whatnot. I'm like, ah, media creation. I've got an artist background and whatnot, but it was like, ah, I don't know if I really want to do that. But SDI is guns. I'm like, well, I'm American. I'm a white male. I love guns. So I reached out to my current advisor at the time was Sasha Gebert. She was, uh, no, it was McMahon. It was McMahon was my uh, academic advisor. Mm-hmm. So I got, I did the little uh, preview and I got enrolled and saw, okay, let's do my financial aid. See if I could see if I could afford to do this and whatnot. And I did, it was turned out like, yeah, I could do this. Let's try for it. So you offered the associates program, but I didn't know if I wanted to commit to two years essentially. So like, ah, let's go for the certificate. Mind you, I was homeschooled till I was 16. I did four years of vocational at a little skill center in town. So I had like, I had two years of video production and two years of network and TV broadcasting and computer technology under my belt. So that's what I did for four years up into my early twenties. So, but I didn't, I was trying to go to the college while I was working overnights, the wife and I were planning for our wedding. You know, I tried to just overwork myself, you know, in the words of Bilbo Baggins, butter spread over too much bread. So then I enrolled in SDI. I had, uh, I was recovering from surgery from said pituitary tumor. And uh, I decided, okay, let's try this. Let's, so 10 months, not bad. It's doable in eight, but my first two classes, I had to retake at the end because I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, growing up with Arlie Army and Future Weapons and, you know, History Channel and all that, I thought, ah, I'm pretty good at this and whatnot. I got this. I had no idea. <laughs> I was grossly misinformed about my capabilities at SDI because at the time <laughs> I was like, I was like, what's ballistic coefficient? And so um, I happened to retake those and learn. And then that's when I had an opportunity to meet Gavin. And so I spent a day at Gavin's shop and, and then I followed him on YouTube to watch his. And so I started to, I started to transition my hobbies to be all firearms related. Mark Novak, the guys at CN Arsenal started to have them up and watch them constantly just fully saturate myself in that industry was the best, uh, is the best methodology for me. Cause I'm just a sponge. I've, I've gone through so many jobs and so many careers in the last decade and a half that it's like, how do you learn that so fast? Ah, we can. So, uh, went through the certificate program. I took a year off and then, um, Sasha reached out to me and said, Hey David, we'd like to nominate you for the DEAC award. I said, that is what? <laughs> so she explained that it's an outstanding graduate for any school enrolled in the DEAC program. So it was like, we'd like to nominate you. Like, okay. So I filled out some paperwork, sent it off. Last I heard of it. Then a couple months goes by and she reads out to me and says, David, congratulations. You won the nomination. Like, oh, we'd like to fly you and the wife down to Arizona to receive your award in person. So not even enrolled, not an active, not even an active student at this time. Um, the school flew me down to Tempe and I got to stay in a nice hotel. The wife and I got to spend the weekend essentially away from home. I received my award in person. We did the virtual graduation ceremony. I got to meet Lawrence Keene. That was great. And then uh, it was after that I had taken some time and just kind of, hmm, and it was probably about six months later because I think I re-enrolled October of this last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And I was like, you know, I'm already halfway there. I have like 32, 34 credits or something like that. So I'm like, I'm already halfway to my associates. And me and Cassie, him and hawed at it. And I'm like, I've already got 90% of the stuff in the shop that I need to finish this. And I was laid off from my job at Stan's Mary Mart. So come July of 2022, I was unemployed. So I did an electrical apprenticeship for a few months after that. And then I spent most of the rest of 2022 unemployed, but it was towards that tail end there. Like, you know, let's do it. I decided to commit to it. Like I've got an associate's degree being homeschooled. I had never really had anything other than my GED under my belt. So it was like, you know, I could have an official associate's degree in a kick-ass field mm-hmm. from a nationally accredited school. And it's like, okay, yeah. I'm going to do this. So I reached out to Sasha and, and then is Alicia. Alicia Todd was my, uh, was my advisor at this point because Sasha had been promoted. So she was elsewhere in the department. But I had a couple conversations with uh, Alicia and she's like, sure, we'd love to have you back. So I redid the FAFSA. They're like, yeah, you're a former student. We've got all your info here. I've changed. Nope. I haven't changed my identity yet. So it was really easy. It was really easy to enroll. And I had a bunch of transfer credits. So like I said, I was already halfway there. So it was like, okay, let's do this. But doing all the FTT projects the, for the certificate program was, was well and done. I think I've done two or three FTT projects this entire, uh, this entire last half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had all of my, uh, all my 101 classes, my English, my business, my math, Right now I'm doing my psychology and my physical science. So those were all credits that I didn't earn at the local community college because I had to drop out. So I had to retake those. So it was uncharted territory for me going from a homeschool student who has a GED to a college student. But the wife had six years of college. She's got her, she's got her bachelor's in early childhood education and development because after surgery and after the medication, I was just about as sharp as a gummy bear. So it was like, I don't know what they mean. And so Cassie would help explain it to me. So I did it. It is tough. I'm about four weeks away. I am, I am slated Knockwood to graduate in the middle of July. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. One thing we didn't get to talk about much last time was we didn't get to talk much about uh, the fact you're a family man and uh, you're kind of flaunting it now. You got a dad shirt on right now. It's my, it's my father's day present. I get one every yeah. year. I keep all my dad jokes in a database. <laughs> I couldn't see the bottom half of that. Oh yeah. Uh, database. But um, you mentioned you have a daughter I do. And she is about to graduate preschool, right? She is. She she was born shortly after the cutoff date for the Montessori school here in here in Kashmir. Mm-hmm. So her graduation ceremony is those of her class that are graduating kindergarten. She's in the same class, but she's essentially held back because she was born just uh... after that age cutoff. So she won't be graduating this year. It's still a graduation ceremony, but she will eventually she will graduate from preschool to kindergarten the next school year because she's, you know, three weeks outside the cutoff. So Mm -hmm. it's like, ah, close, but no cigar. So they're doing a little um, graduation ceremony at the classroom for 
all the parents and teachers and whatnot. So she's got that. But Amelia will be five in August. Oh, wow. It will be five in August. It has been a very fast half decade. Goodness gracious. Oh, well, that'll be kind of cool. Like you guys, you know, having your little graduations and, you know, completions line up. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, what's been the most rewarding part of being a father? The most rewarding part of being a father for me has had somebody to look after. Growing up, I had really bad self-care. I didn't, I just forgot to take care of myself or it wasn't important. But the blessing that Amelia has given me to be somebody that I can give the experiences that I didn't have growing up. I want her to live the life that I didn't as a kid. You know, there was, I grew up in a household of seven siblings. So I had six brothers. No, I had two brothers and four sisters. So it was a very, very kind of one-sided. And most of my childhood coming up was my older brother and my younger sister. By then, all my older siblings had graduated or moved away or started their family and whatnot. So my older brother wasn't the looking after his younger brother type of brother, unfortunately. So my younger sister and I bonded a lot. So helping Vanessa and taking care of helping take care of her and whatnot was great. I love to see that people take better care of themselves because I know what it's like when they don't. So the blessing that Amelia has given me the last five years is to see that this child has the upbringing that she deserves and somebody has helped her. Well, honey, no, we don't do that. And you know why to keep her from making mistakes that'll get her into trouble at a much younger age because my brother started to mess up and get into legal trouble and seeing my brother mess up and like, ooh, kept my nose really clean because it's like, I ain't, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. So the opportunity to help Amelia keep her nose clean and keep out of a jail cell at an early age uh, is going to go a long way as she progresses and, you know, enters middle school and high school. And then the college is like, well, that's not a bad thing. We, we can do that, but that's a bad thing. You shouldn't (laughs) do that. You know, Mm -hmm. what's socially acceptable, what's not socially acceptable, yada, yada, yada. For sure. For sure. Um, It's interesting when we talked uh, last, I think I, yeah. Um, I had just proposed to my wife, I think like the, a week or two prior. Because mm-hmm, I had heard it on the podcast. Yeah. You guys were getting married. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, you know, kind of fascinated by those stories of uh, well, those love stories, how, uh, how people met, how they fell in love. I wanted to ask if you're okay with it, David, would you mind sharing, you know, you and your wife's story? Cassie and I will be married for 10 years this August. Uh, Our anniversary is actually the day before Amelia's birthday. We were in the hospital in labor on our anniversary with with Amelia being born. So Amelia's born August 24th. Our anniversary is the 25th. Wow. So our five-year wedding anniversary was bringing Amelia into this world, which is the highlight of my life. Love that. Cassie and I met through a mutual friend at a blind date for for the cashmere prom in 2009. I was 21, 22. I was living at home, but I was helping dad in the orchard. I grew up in pear country. So my room and board was paid for by orchard work. 
So mm. I, I lived at home. It's nice. School was close. Work was close. Yada, you know, uh, we met 2009 prom. I had never been before. So I had a crash course and here's what goes on at prom. And my mom helped me get a corsage and a boutonniere and just get everything I need to, to spiff myself up. So I had about three weeks to plan and prepare myself for prom because it was closing up quickly in the early March. And so I met Cassie on Skype a few times. Her and our mutual friend kind of chatted in a little chat group when Skype was a thing. Mm-hmm. And um, God, I've just dated myself. Um, at least it's not aim. At least we weren't talking on aim or something like that. No, I, re- um, I remember the Skype days. <laughs> and um, so uh, I decided for it. Awesome. I hadn't seen her in person until the day of, which was March 18th, 2009. We then went off and or we double dated and we went to dinner together and then we went to prom together. And then by the end of the night, I asked, you know, I'd love to continue to see you again. This, I've had a lot of fun tonight. So then two or three months go by and we're, we exchange phone numbers, you know, being all shy with each other. And we end up going to see the first, it was the first or second Transformers movie that came out. I think it was Dark Side of the Moon. So I think it was the second one. Uh, that, one. that was our date night. It became a, it became a thing, uh, a tradition after that to uh, make a date night of every Transformer movie that came out after that. Because Cassie grew up with two with a with two younger brothers that always were like always watching the movies or always playing the game. So she never really got exposed to that because it wasn't uh, she didn't do it voluntarily. Sure. Like, hey, we're going to watch this movie. Well, what if I don't want to watch this movie? (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to go see the new Transformers. Cassie, would you like to go with me? I think I would like that. And then um, dinner was usually at Red Robin. We have a Red Robin in town. So I was like, that's my 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 jam Mm -hmm. campfire sauce and unlimited ribbon fries. Just mm, was 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 my thing. I would have people together for my birthday. So it was right around July and whatnot. And it was ever since then, I was my dad raised me very polite, very gentleman. Chivalry is a big component of my life. And it was like, I'm not going to push her for a kiss, not going to push her for a kiss. And then I um, she was she wasn't expecting it. But as we're walking into Red Robin, I kind of did the cliche grab her by the hand, spin her around, you know, where you spin her into you. And then I then I dipped with her and I gave her her first kiss and she was just glowing for the rest of the day. (laughs) And so um, we just started to the the relationship evolved after after that. And it was she started going to school and like her car broke down. So I gave her rides to school. Then my car broke down and she gave me rides to work. And so it became this back and forth together and she got me moved out of my out of mom and dad's house dad reached a point that he didn't need me at the house anymore and I wanted a little more independence now that you know I had a girlfriend and life was changing for me and whatnot Mm -hmm. so Cassie got me moved into an apartment with some friends of mine and just I got the autonomy she I was complacent living with mom and dad I enjoyed it I wasn't in a hurry to go anywhere but she's like you know you could have so much more freedom if you wanted to move out I'm like oh okay let's do it so oh. she she gave me the uh, opportunity to sense the autonomy that i didn't know i needed or wanted so 
we dated for four years. It was 2012 when I proposed to her. I took her down to the local park next to the Columbia River here, and I had her blindfolded. And so I was walking her down to the river. And she's like, I hear running water. Please don't throw me in the river. <laughs> and uh, it's when I dropped to one knee and I proposed to her and whatnot. And then I took her to dinner at Olive Garden. So uh, Olive Garden's her her high class restaurant that she really yeah. enjoys, that she enjoys going to. So it was a um, and then uh, we saved up. We paid for our own wedding out of pocket. So we took a year to save up for it. I called in all the favors. Her aunt was a baker at uh, the local bakery here in Cashmere. That's right next to Applets and Cotlets. Applets and Cotlets has been around for like 110 years. Um, big, well-known all over the place. Uh, so her aunt baked our wedding cake. Her aunt made her wedding dress. My mom made all the secondary cakes and all the secondary food all that year leading up to the wedding. And we had planned an outdoor wedding at the, the Riverside Center here in town. Uh, planned it, it had like 250 chairs, so it was already. And about an hour before the ceremonies to start, it starts to rain in the middle of August. You know, I've heard rain on your wedding day is actually a great sign. I, I've been told that as well, but it is logistics. It's a yeah. nightmare. Oh, I'm so. Sure. So we had to bring everything inside in an hour. So 250 chairs and tables and the archway and everything. So last minute, everything gets moved inside and we had to flip script a little bit, but it all worked out in the end. That was, yeah, that was coming up on a decade ago. The wife and I will be 10 years in August. Well, congratulations on that, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I have a couple more questions, a couple things I wanted to talk about. Uh, but before I do that, Joey, do you have any questions so far? I do, and I have to hop off shortly. So I'm going to ask this, and then I'll let Drew interrogate you a little bit. What What was the distillery like? What did y'all did y'all make all the things? Did you all specialize the, in a couple all, things? All the things. Uh, we made a gin. We made a barrel-aged gin. I've made whiskey, vodka. We would get some neutral spirits and would redistill it down with our own water because you can... Uh, 90% of the vodka that you find on the shelf today is made in one of like seven national distilleries. It's then just cut down with their own specific water and then mixed a little bit and whatnot. Uh, but we made almost everything in-house. So we had, I had, a, I had a Voron, which is a VFD fruit crusher. It could pull stone out of fruit. So peaches, apricots, nectarines, cherries. So I've done cherry wine. I've made gin. I've made uh, aquavite. One of my favorites is I've actually got a bottle of it unopened yet that I'm going to actually open for my graduation. Uh, is a bottle of uh, bottle of Uzo. Uzo is a uh, Greek licorice vodka, triple distilled Greek licorice vodka, and I love black licorice. Anything black licorice is just mwah. And uh, I got to keep a bottle of that uh, when we closed up shop. And I spend five years or so, and I haven't opened it. And I'm like, you know, maybe I should open that. And then my buddy Carl's like, now nah, you should save it for your graduation. And I'm like, oh, that's a really good yeah. idea. That's yeah, a really good idea. Yeah. Um, we, I got to be the part of a limited release before, just as the boss had opened almost a decade prior to me joining the team, uh, he had put a barrel, he had put a barrel of whiskey in. 
So we got to do a limited like 400 bottle run of a 10 year whiskey that had been aged in house and cashmere with cat with local ingredients. And so it was very I mean, it was like a $200 bottle because there's, you know, such a hot you need a large ROI because it's just sitting there. It's you no know, the time is the investment when it comes to aging a spirit. So it's stuff you can do on the, on the burner of your kitchen, but if you want it to have that flavor profile, you just put it in a closet or put it down in a climate controlled basement for 10 years. Like, oh, okay. But we had the third best gin in the state in 2016. It had a third place award for uh, one of the best gins at the 2016 uh, Washington wine show. Nice, but it was it was uh, it had lavender in it, which is what threw a lot of people because gin is just like juniper berries, some anise, maybe some orange peel and lemon peel. Oh, yeah. Juniper's great. But we added lavender and hibiscus flowers during the um, during the mash process. So that sat for a few weeks and then it was pumped out and it had essence of uh, had a you had to there were some people that could pick it up on it but not until you told them what's that flavor it's lavender they're like lavender hiding up in there oh i got it now yeah oh that's good you know i love gin i was never a big gin guy like i said if it if it tastes like a pine tree or a car freshener i'm not interested in it but it was when i started on the team i had to taste everything that he had at the time and give my opinion on it and I was just kind of, ah, ah, oh, that smells good. You know, uh, yeah. I said, I said, you should make that an air freshener. He's like, ha, ha, ha. you know what it would be called, David? What is it? It'd be called probable cause is what it would be. Uh, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, my, it's my air freshener. I swear. Uh-huh, sir. Sure it is. Please step out of the car. Yeah, this is. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Uh, this is going to take longer than you were thinking. Uh, the distillery was awesome. I it was five minutes from home. I could wake up at six o'clock in the morning, pump in sixty gallons of mash, turn on the heaters because it was all electric electronically controlled at this point. So we had a like a two hundred and fifty watt heater and a big double boiler essentially. So there's no direct contact with the mash. So I could show up at six a.m., turn on the pump, pump in sixty gallons, click 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 click, and then go home and eat breakfast. Clock in, go home, eat breakfast, come back two hours later ah yes fresh distillate the the cleanest freshest stuff you'd ever get close because it's lived for five seconds out of the still and you're mm, oh that's so good and so that was my favorite job favorite job hands down and the emperor in his infinite wisdom Inslee sought that we were non-essential i sold a couple of barrels of non-potable alcohol to the county the pud uh so they could clean their the inside of their vehicles uh right Mm -hmm. as COVID right as COVID hit and the last shipment i remember the day of putting that last barrel on the pallet for schlang county sold that to them and then like a week later we got the cease and desist as the lni and liquor control board cronies showed up and said you're done i think anyone that had to live through the COVID-19 times knows that alcohol was most definitely essential. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, ABC stores stayed open down here. Uh-huh. Yeah. The whole time. So I'm surprised that the your component of the supply chain was, uh, was we uh, were um 
down. The stores stayed open. the The actual storefront stayed open, but we did not. Uh, we did not meet the criteria. We were not big enough to stay open. So it was That's just axe the little guy. Hard, but... Yeah, but it was uh, about eight months later. We had to sell everything at auction because he said bills kept. I still had bills to pay, and yeah. uh, you know, COVID lasted two and a half, almost three years here in Washington. So eight months later, we had to load it up all on a truck and sell it at auction. And it was just. Yeah. uh, On that sad liquor note, I got to get back to it over here. My very late lunch break is over, but it's good to see you. Good to talk to you. You Have fun and uh, look forward to listening to the rest of it as, uh, as you'll keep talking. Sounds good, Joey. Take care of yourself. All right. Talk to you later, dude. All right. So, um, yeah, you, know, you kind of talked a little bit about it, um, you know, having the brain surgery. Uh, and then I remember you mentioning that you had to go back in and they did some more work. About six months after the surgery, I was readmitted to the University of Washington on the recommendation for gamma knife, which is which the technical term is stereotactic radio surgery or something. Mm-hmm. They draw a three-dimensional map with a couple of MRIs and CAT scans. And they take a, a radiation laser. You know, mm-hmm. this, they essentially take a laser that's not going to burn the surface of my skin and an isotope, and they blast that tumor in essentially three dimensions, essentially 3D printing radiation upon the tumor, if that makes any sense to you. No, um, I can follow that. Because the surgery was considered a failure six months prior, because they only were able to excise about 20% of that tumor that made it uh, inoperable. They couldn't, they couldn't go back in and do it again because it wouldn't have solved anything. The rest of it, the other 80% had wrapped around my carotids. The cella tersica of your brain is also where the carotid arteries come in to feed all that blood to your brain. And that tumor had grown back and around it. So they could get the front portion and that was it yeah or outside you know stroke out on the operating table and eat from a straw for the rest of Mm -hmm. my life um but i went back in about six months later and got 19 gray worth of radiation enough to trigger the geiger counter at tsa (laughs) and they're like hope we hope you don't plan to fly mr rains no i'm just on the (laughs) other side of the mountain okay good because the tsa (laughs) will probably have questions for you when you enter the airport um uh but it had a i mean they had a physicist there they had a radiation specialist there. It was a mom and uh, it was a mom and daughter crew there at the in the uh, radiation radiology department. So I was well taken care of. But I had uh, titanium pins drilled into my head. Essentially, they were they were tapered titanium pins. I'll have to show you a picture of it at some point. Yeah. Um, where I was, uh, this was screwed into my head in four spots with just a three quarter inch drive socket, just ratchet, just (laughs) on all four sides. And it had a reference bar on the back of it. And that's what locked my head onto the table. So I couldn't move even if I wanted to, Yeah, because I'm just stapled to the table. Mm. Uh, And then uh, everybody has to leave the room. It's a radiation isotope. Yeah. And so everybody had to be out of the room. And so they watched me on camera. But the thing about that is it's not like a normal MRI where you have to stay there for 45 minutes. If I needed to pause to get up to use the bathroom, since that is essentially zero, zero, you know, of X, Y coordinates, I can always just reset my head back to zero and they can continue as normal. So like, so it was about 75 minutes of sitting there just 
no sensation, nothing, nothing that I can feel on my face. It wasn't uh-huh. burning my skin or anything like that, but they have isotopes just. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they had printouts, there's printouts in my, my chart of you can see the there's this little blue reference line of the path that it drew mm-hmm. uh, through my tumor. And I could talk to the doctor or the f- physicist and whatnot. And I was just like, uh, well, what isotope is it? And he's like, it's technetium 99. It has got a half-life of about six hours. So in six hours, it's half as potent as it usually is. Mm-hmm. So in a day, I was gone. You know, I I had no more radiation in me, but then my body had to recover from being irradiated. So it was another five or six weeks of just being inexplicably tired and just, you know, I felt like a Fallout 3 character Uh covering with Radaway. But it was, um, it was, uh, it was an experience. It's, uh, I don't recommend anybody get a pituitary adenoma. cancerous tumors it honestly is as sadistic as it may sound it's almost easier if it was a cancerous tumor Hmm. because uh it was non-malignant so it's not metastasizing anywhere and growing into organs and it was non-cancerous so it doesn't grow it's just a big fatty ball of hormone producing tissue gotcha Um, if it was cancerous it'd be like just blast them with some chemo kill it all huzzah but that also kills adjacent cells. Yeah. So there was a high risk of it actually killing my pituitary. And then I would be on hormone replacement therapy for the rest of my mm-hmm. natural life. So that's like, it's a bit extreme. We really don't want to do that because then you're just getting injections every week for the rest of your natural yeah. life. And I'm like, ah, I don't like needles. Yeah. So we went the, um, we went the radiation route um, and it's stopped growing for the most part as of, the recording of this video, but I'm on, like I said, uh, between symptoms and side effects, I've got nine medications that I take Gotcha. between like uh, the syncope or the vertigo or, oh, if you're nauseous, take this. But if you're dizzy, take this. If you're going to throw up, take this. Just, yeah, it's just been a candy dish of medication. My thyroid is mostly functioning Mm -hmm. but i have to take like a topical testosterone application every morning so i've got to rub that on my shoulders it's just uh i can't have surgery again so i don't have to worry about having to go back under the knife but in a year's time if the university of washington get i get another mri uh they i can always re-eligible for another round of gamma knife Gotcha. So, so that's something that can always be done too. If the tumor still had slowed in its growth, but it's still, you know, being a problem, let's get you in another round and whatnot. Okay. So it's, it's a, it's been a few, it's been a fun five years, Drew. Yeah. I can't imagine, man. I'm, yeah. but I'm glad to, you know, one, you're here with us. You're in good spirits. And, um, you know, thank you for giving us the update on that. Not a problem. Not a problem. That's so fascinating, like, just thinking, though, like, what they are capable of doing nowadays. Mm-hmm. And yeah, totally, uh, totally blows my mind. Yeah, even from when, like, when you and I were kids. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. A uh, huge change. Mm-hmm. My dad was recently um, had a heart valve replaced. One of his one of his hearts 
one of his valves wasn't behaving properly. So I'm like, oh man, my dad's going to have open heart surgery and be laid up for weeks and weeks. And you know, what's the chance that he could die. And, uh, and he was home the next day. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, they opened up a vein in my leg, went in and delivered the expanding pig valve right over the old one. And I was home the next day. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like, so here we are in 2023 and you can get a one day heart valve replacement surgery. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what a time to be alive. Right. Man. It blows my mind. The yeah. advances made I was in just, medicine. Yeah. The advances we've made just in the last decade, mm-hmm. uh, let alone the last four decades has just been, it's exponential. And just like, yeah, dad had, my dad had heart surgery. Oh, and I was expecting, you know, like big scar and they've cracked his ribs open, you know. It's like, like oh, no, no big deal. Like, no. He had a two inch incision on his thigh where they went in with the, what they went in with the scope and um, did all of that. Mm-hmm. You're looking at, uh, looking for that picture. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and I have one on each side and like one, two, three, four. And it's just, just this big Iron Man jaws kind of right here at the chin and had a big bar on the back. It was, uh, I couldn't see it. It was out of my peripheral vision along the bar. So after I was done, it'd be like, yeah, you can eat, drink if you're hungry or whatnot. And it'd be like, dink, ow, damn, no. dink, ow. You just kick off. There's this, this giant uh-huh. titanium bar screwed across my face. Um, they wouldn't let me take it home because the screws alone were about $400. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm at least you know, you know, it's you know pretty quality if it's going to be that much. Yeah. Screws. Yeah. And working on the F35 project now at the machine shop, it's like, yeah, I understand why that tiny piece of titanium is four hundred dollars. Uh huh. <laughs> like, yeah. ah, gotcha. But it, uh, they let me take home a couple of the tools used for that from my mm-hmm. surgery, and so I got to have, uh, I got to have, I've got a set of hemostats, which are the uh, adjustable snips essentially they're not cutters but they're like crimps mm-hmm. and they lock it down in place they let me take home my pair of hemostats so the uh, one of the pairs of hemostats i have in the shop so like ah, those are from my surgery <laughs> um i quickly i want to you know i'm going to shift there, gears there, a little bit there's a better picture of it okay it kind of looks cool though like if it wasn't for the fact that that's like you know, really yeah screwed into your head like that would look like an awesome cosplay or something oh absolutely but it they hit me with like lidocaine and all the in all the sites Uh uh-huh and whatnot so i felt just the pressure none of the pain but there was one back here that they missed so the doctor is literally like i said three quarter inch drive just going and he's like three clicks in and it's and he's like a pain yeah yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, nurse, let's get some more over here. So she just like doubles up the lidocaine and hits me again and takes like 30 seconds to start the, the numb. And then he just starts. Are you are you good now? Yeah. OK. And then at that point, I feel like it's a psychological thing. Like, oh, it, it, yeah, because you know, you're like, this should not be happening. I should not be hearing yeah. or feeling this sensation. Right. Of my head being squished by a three quarter inch drive socket as you know, pins are essentially into my head. You can feel the dents. I've got the dents still in my forehead because it deformed the bone a little bit, but I've, you can still feel the two dents in my Uh forehead right here. That's, that's wild, dude. Yeah. Did not, uh, I did not expect that when I walked into the room. Mm. 
Oh, <laughs> that's they don't tell you that on the brochure. <laughs> no, no, they do not. And so it was okay, Mr. Reigns, we're going to get this installed. Cool. And, you know, and I just thought like, you know, those neck arresters where they uh, lock your head in place. If you yeah. have like a spinal injury, uh -huh. I thought maybe something like that. Like, okay, you're going to feel like, uh, what? <laughs> Come again, doc. Yeah, we're going to screw these into your head. Like you're going to thread and tap holes in my head. No but these tapered pins are going to push your skull together. Okay. It's like, oh, I didn't realize I was becoming the next Cinebite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I was just looking over, like, when we talked and we had you know, decided to schedule this, I was just looking over the um, the article that we did on you, which, first things first, I feel like I got to apologize. I feel like my writing skills have gotten a lot better the past year and since like you were you were the first guy I did a uh you know svi grad speak on i'm like oh no really oh no i did not I, know that i didn't know that i was your first yeah huh. yeah because i wasn't even technically full you know i wasn't full-time at sdi Ooh, yet that's right uh, i that's was right. i was a contracted worker so i feel like i need to go back you know i don't know maybe redo it or something but uh anyway Towards the end, you talked about what you wanted your legacy to be. You said, quote, 50 years from now, somebody comes to me and says, Grandpa, I saw one of your guns at the museum. I'm like, I've done my job. Like, I love to make some cool guns, shoot guns with the boys, you know, all the good stuff that comes with it. But my societal goals, personal goals, friendship goals, and family goals are I want to keep the wheels of gunsmithing and the gunsmithing industry continuing to move for the next hundred years. And it was SDI that helped me pull the trigger on that because I now have the experience and opportunity to deal with some old guns from the customers. So, um, yeah, I quoted that because... I remember you talking about how much you enjoy, especially some of those restoration pieces. Mm, very much so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know you've been wrapped up with you know, getting your associates and doing all that. What gun would be, if you had to pick one, would you most want to restore? If I had the choice of an aged gun to come by? Yes. Um, uh, ooh, that's a good question. Off the cuff, right away is a Luger P08. A Luger mm. would be a fun project. Mm. I would love, I'd love to do a Luger. Um, man, that's a that's a really good. I'd love to get my hands on a Spas 12. Do a restore a Spas 12. That would be mm -hmm. cool. I had the opportunity to touch up a SKS. I had a gentleman, uh, had a friend of mine from uh, Clarksville. He's uh, nephews of Dirt King, the owner of Mid-South Shooter Supply. He went down to visit his dad, and he came back with an unfired uh, Japanese SKS from whenever. It was, uh -huh. still, it was still drowning in Cosmoline. There was Cosmoline everywhere, mm. but, it, but it had never been fired. He had never really? had a never had a round through it. It was there was Cosmoline and the gas receiver and the tube and everything and the magazine. So I got to do a, essentially a disassembly and I posted some short videos of that on my YouTube channel. And so I just like, hey, welcome back to the day in the shop real quick on the bench. We've got a, an SKS. So I did a little video on the fact that Cosmoline air dries and thickens and how do you remove Cosmoline? Okay. Well, it's a petroleum based product. Okay. We'll use mineral spirits, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I liked doing SKSs. 
I like that SKS because it had it was all numbers matching, bayonet matched. Uh, it had even the even he didn't know that the butt plate has the tool storage. There in the butt plate there, there's uh-huh. a little flap that comes out. And he's like, "What is that?" I'm like, "That's the bore brush." He's like, "What?" Yeah. And he had just factory new bore brushes buried in Cosmoline just sitting in there. He's like, "No way!" I'm like, uh-huh. uh-huh. So even he didn't know that he had picked it up from his dad and he's like, I had no idea that was in there. Like, that's why they bring me, that's why they bring me guns. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I got to spend a few weeks pulling all the Cosmoline off of that and function checking everything and whatnot. And he's like, that's a five round magazine. Nope. It's a, it's a a dropout 10 round mag. He's like, ha ha cool. So, uh, I really enjoyed doing that SKS. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But in the terms of full restoration, if it was a pistol, probably a Luger. Yeah. If it, if it was a rifle, I would love to do an old, um, what is it? Swedish Mauser. It was the uh, M91, K31, I think is what it was. The straight bolt. It's the old Mausers that had a, it was like an eight millimeter Mauser that had a straight bolt system. I'd love to do one of those as an old restoration. The oh older, yeah. I see the old, what like, you're talking about. Yeah, the old like K98 Mausers, but they, there was a, it was called a keg barrel or a keg handle because there were two pieces of aluminum that were threaded together to be the handle. So it was rather than, you know, up 60 degrees and back, it was a straight bolt system. So it mm. just encammed the cart spent cartridge out the side. So they called them keg latches or something. Cause they just looked like a little tiny beer cake attached to the side of the gun. Um, it looks cool though. Like, I'm Oh sorry, yeah. I just, I just typed it in and I was like, yeah. Oh my goodness. They're great. They're, they were fantastic. The white death is a song by Sabaton. Okay. That talks it, about the finish. And yeah. That was the rifle that he used oh. that K 31. Uh huh. And so I love, I love that gun because just not even that exact gun, but it was a permutation of it. But that gun specifically would be a fun one to restore. I bet, especially, yeah, because it's so unique. Yeah. Um, of course, Hickok has a video on it. Uh huh. Um, what do you think? He's got a, he's got a video on everything. <laughs> I, I'd be, I'd be shocked if he doesn't have like a video on like that gun, like the gun drawing I did when I was in fifth grade or something. <laughs> like, all right, we're shooting this one here today. <laughs> Today, we have the standard issue Imperial Plasma Pistol. (laughs) Love that guy. Now, and you know, it's my new toy. Hey, look at that. Good gosh. Uh huh. It's a Springfield OSP Elite. I used my student discount to put a Venom on it. Mm -hmm. It's got a nightstick 850 lumen optic on it. And then it's got my Form 1. I wish everyone could see the way. Uh, the lighting completely changed in David's office when he turned. It's it's the bastard's bright. It's it's bright at 850 lumens, and it was standard factory for 22 rounds. Mm. So this is my uh, backpack go everywhere with me pistol. I have a compensator that if I take the suppressor off, I've got a long barrel compensator from Springer Precision that goes on Ooh. here. It helps with, uh, I mean, this gun, it's nine millimeter. It doesn't have a lot of recoil, but sure. when this configuration comes off the, that goes on and that's my, uh, speed steel configuration. Mm-hmm. That's nice. I love it. That's I nice. love it. Yeah. We've been pretty cordial throughout this whole conversation, but you do have some umbrage that needs to be addressed. Okay. Uh, 
you've taken some umbrage with some of uh, the picks for uh, top war films. Oh, yes. Yes. With you and George and Joey talking yesterday or the, the last podcast posted, you had some great selections. I was I was not upset at all of them, but there were some that I had issues with that. Uh, you know, uh, you mentioned uh, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Great, great early 2000s film and whatnot. But I grew up in the generation um, of like my dad's. I grew up watching, you know, the VHS copies of my dad's films. So um, you had like uh, the Dirty Dozen, the original Dirty Dozen was awesome, 1967. Mm-hmm. But there was the Heroes of Telemark. You had the Guns of Navarone. The Guns of Navarone is a... Uh, World War II, 1943, is Nazi occupied a Grecian island with a couple of naval guns, and it was the team that had to had to get on the island, take out the guns and whatnot. Awesome films, awesome films. That and the Heroes of Telemark are two like mid 1960s movies that are just underrated gold. You had Gregory Peck, Von Ryan's Express. You had Frank Sinatra. Like there were some older films that are just like some of the best because i like to think of film is always evolutionary mm-hmm. somebody's film is based off predilections of somebody else's film so when the fact that film is still only really a hundred 125 150 years old maybe so when you have movies from 60 or 70 years ago it's like well what's this movie based on oh the creative director grew up with this so he made his version of this with that mm-hmm yeah, and um, you know that makes me think of when I think of Sergio Leone doing uh, "Fistful of Dollars," mm. essentially being a remake of Yojimbo. Yeah, but then at the same time, a lot of those samurai films were influenced by earlier American westerns, and so I, you know, it's wild how like the influences, you know, like you said, can come about and you get these classic movies where it's like oh yeah i was inspired by this i wanted to do a bit of a retelling change some things up you had mentioned your love for clint eastwood yes with wild west films have you seen bob valdez and valdez is coming no great film great have you seen quigley down under i have actually okay good because i'd have real issues with you if you hadn't seen quigley down under (laughs) but valdez is coming Another fantastic underrated Western. There's a reference that he makes in it. You can tell him Valdez is coming. And he's like that aged, he's that aged, like semi-Hispanic, uh-huh. you know, Mexican grown up. And he's like, you have angered Valdez. You can tell him Valdez is coming. And so Valdez has a, where did you get those bullets? They were my own law. So he just makes his own, he just creates uh-huh. his own cartridge and his own powder load. To, are you going to be able to hit that? Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. That's Burt Lancaster. Uh-huh. You tell him Valdez is coming. Bob Valdez is great. Mm. Great Western. I mean, I grew up on the Rifleman, Gunsmoke, those black and white. Uh, I was a big fan of like TV land. So mm-hmm. reruns. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're doing this. But Valdez, quickly down under, the good, bad, and the ugly is obviously a staple. 
for sure. But but quickly down under, most people have seen. I would like to say, but people don't understand that that Valdez is coming is just a fantastic underrated with a triple A actor. Lancaster has yeah. not got a small repertoire under his belt. And they're like, oh, I've never seen it. And I'm like, oh, that's criminal. Well, it's wild because it does not like when you say the name Burt Lancaster mm-hmm. and then you see the image of him and Valdez is coming. <laughs> it's transformative. Uh-huh. But, but, but that's like, I think for me, that's very intriguing because it's like, oh, OK, that's interesting. Let's see where this goes. Just not somebody, not somebody you would have think could adopt that persona uh-huh. as that character and do so well in it. You've got a. I need to make that like a required reading for you or something. Then next yeah. time we talk, you've got to watch. You've got to watch Valdez. I'm a big. I grew up volunteering at the local library, so I was always taking a book or a movie home at the end mm-hmm. of every day and like, oh, you go ahead, David, what books do you want to take home for a long time? For the better part of a decade, I'd take home a pile of Star Wars books by EA Big and uh-huh. read through Star Wars. Big science fiction guys, you can see by the uh, adornment of of the uh, symbolism upon my skin. And then it was like, oh, David, you should get that movie and uh, we'll watch it. It's one of my favorites. OK, Dad, I'll get it. I'll come home with it. He's like, OK, we come home with it. And like, awesome. Mm-hmm. Great film. Like. Yeah, I definitely have to check it out, especially yeah. if it is like a spaghetti Western, you know, so it's, uh, it's 1971, 1971. Yes, 1971. OK, yeah, uh, it's great. It's just a uh, fantastic. And, you know, the strong chisel, the strong chin, Burt Lancaster sells it really well. It's just a uh, just absolutely. Uh, I got to have it. Mm. Got to have it. Well, so you've been able to air out your grievances, and now it's time for me to air out mine. Okay. You have the habit of uh, flexing on me. (laughs) Uh, I'll get, ever since we met back in April of last year, intermittently, I'll get these images from David where he's like, hey, just had to brag a little bit, including one from what, like, uh, you said that yesterday? Uh, As two days ago. Yeah. Tell me how that happened. So John and Becca came up uh, every year. The church in Wenatchee is called Grace City Church. Mm -hmm. They do a men's conference, Building Stronger Men. So they do a three-day weekend of uh, doing everything that men are good at, protecting, building, providing. So they provide courses of like, okay, you want to be a protector. Well, come over to the ammunition reloaders and the guys that have a history in self-defense or family protection and whatnot. And last year, John Lovell was going to come over and do his presentation, but he wasn't able to. But John and Becca came over this year and they provided a three hour course Monday night on self-defense. It was called Mm -hmm. Katie bar the door. And it was a three hour seminar essentially on the best practices you could take to protect your family, Uh, outdoor lighting, motion sensor lights, you know, have a family plan of like, okay, you have a code word of a, there's a robbery or there's a home invasion. He denoted the two. And so he had, he was there for three hours. There was 800 people in that auditorium and uh, he, him and Becca normally do like 50 to hundred. Mm-hmm. And they said, this is the largest group that we've ever presented for. And just like, wait, STI is a sponsor of his channel. And he's going to be in Wenatchee. Uh-huh. No. So I had like four days to reserve my name 
on the Katie bar the door. Oh, fifteen dollars? Yeah. Hell yeah, I'll pay for that. So Monday night comes around and okay, uh, honey, I gotta get going. So uh, I went down, got found my seat, waited, and then I got to shake his hand a few minutes before he went on stage because I wore my SDI shirt. I wore yeah, my which nice I was happy about. Button. I yep. I, saw, I saw you represent. I'm like, okay, to, well, you had to re- had to rep the brand. I took my SDI book. You know, I because, you know, he obviously knows SDI is the sponsor of his channel. So when he saw the shirt, he was at that. Huh? He's <laughs> like, Mr. Lovell, my name's David. I'm pleasure to meet you, sir. I was the 2020 outstanding graduate for SDI. He's like, awesome. It's a pleasure to meet you, sir. And I'd love to talk to you after the show. And so uh, they did a meet and greet after mm-hmm. after the seminar. And you waited in line because there was a lot of people that wanted to see John. Some of them, had, some people had never heard of him, but they loved the show. His wife, Becca, had a great presentation as well. So a uh-huh. lot of the women felt comfortable asking her questions regarding, well, how do you carry if you're going to go for a jog or if you have the kids with you? And so mm-hmm. so that half of the crowd was able to magnetize to Becca and then the male half was able to magnetize to John. And so there's this great back and forth of, well, I as the mother would do this well i as the father am the protector of the family i need to do this so it was a great i got to meet him shook his hand i said john you were the essentially john was one of the youtubers i was watching that Mm -hmm. got me into sdi because i had been watching and i like rebuilt my new kit based on some of his plate carrier videos and and whatnot and he didn't know on his website he has um stack kiwi pouches Mm-hmm. Yeah, the little three max. STAC is a is a Washington company. They're about three hours north, about three hours east in Stanwood. Three hours west, sorry, in Stanwood. And he's like, I didn't know that. He's like, Yeah, I had my order in like two days, because they you know live so close. It was like, mm-hmm. cool. But it was just, uh, I could die. I could die now, knowing that I got to shake the hand of John Lovell the warrior poet himself and uh said david you're four weeks away yes sir four weeks away congratulations david god bless and i'm just like "Ah, i could die yeah i mean he seems like a great dude like nice guy him and his wife fantastic power couple just great with each other and uh of course i had to i had to flex i had to flex and you were of course gonna meet the ire of that well i was gonna Um, say uh, listen i'm just i'm honored that i was even considered to be flexed upon in that (laughs) manner so i think that might be a good place to leave it you know kind of came full circle david thank you so much for coming on dude not a problem not a problem drew it is always a pleasure to see your face and if people want to keep up with you you have your youtube channel correct I have a small, a very, very small uh, YouTube channel of about 30 subscribers. I am, I am ab- somewhat absent in it as of late, but post-graduation, I intend to be a little more, uh, a little more involved in it. I'm going to try to be a little more active on the channel and upload some more videos and more content and whatnot, as I will not be mm-hmm. worried of throughout the week of drowning in project of getting, you know, all my FTT and my psychology and physical science done. Mm-hmm. Um, if they want to follow me, they can just Google, they can go to YouTube and type in David Rains, or one of my personas is known as Marshmallow Ace. Yeah, if they'd, uh, I'll post content and updates. I do shorts occasionally. 
when I re-enrolled, I started to do a few shorts here and there of like, hey, oh, then there's the uh, Norinco SKS maintenance video, you know, like, oh, that had, I posted that like six months ago. That's got a uh-huh. hundred views or whatever. I do intend to be more active on it and it'll uh, just take a little time for me to get there. Cool. Deal. Cool. Deal. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. All right. And that has been this week's episode of the gun rack. Everyone have fun, stay safe, and we will see you at the range. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.